We're pretty close now. I feel definitely kind of uh, nervous. Like I sort of want to pull out of the whole thing. <laughs> the last time I visited the town where I grew up, McKeesport, Pennsylvania, the year was 1999. Bill Clinton was president. People were still printing out directions on MapQuest. I thought regular folks talking on cell phones was like the most ridiculous thing I had ever seen. I myself had just bought a fax machine. It was also the last time I heard anything about my childhood best friend, Shamrace Mims. Yeah, that's his name. Shamrace Mims. It's, uh, it's not a name you forget, but it is a name you can love. I mean, I don't know. I guess maybe I wonder what Shamrace is going to think of me. Like, if he's going to think that I'm... I don't know. I'm no longer a kid from McKeesport, I guess. Or maybe maybe you always are. I'm Carvel Wallace, and this is Closer Than They Appear. When I was a kid in the early 80s, Shamrace lived one street over from me. And I don't really remember how we met. I just remember this energetic, chubby kid with thick, permanently smudged glasses and sloppily processed hair and a kind of bright and mischievous twinkle in his eye that always made me feel like something really funny was about to happen. We rode bikes and we played Atari. We showed up at each other's houses at 8 a.m. on Saturday mornings. We sat on porches in the late afternoon, throwing rocks and talking about rap crews and transformers. We had a childhood friendship. That was, of course, until I moved. And from that point on, my path and Shamrace's path, they diverged. I'm going to tell you more about that later on. But first... Let me tell you about the time I went back, more than a decade after I left. I wanted to show my then girlfriend, soon wife, and then later still ex-wife, the place where I had raced bikes with my old friend, but everything was different. Streets that I remembered as buzzing and lively were now empty. The house I lived in was abandoned. Lawns were overgrown. The town seemed to have just died. I remember this one moment from that trip. My ex and I were standing outside of Shamrace's house, and we noticed this lone female figure with ratty clothes and a faraway look in her eyes walking slowly toward us down the middle of the street. She asked if we were thinking about buying. <laughs> no, we explained, we're not going to buy. I told her that my childhood friend Shamrace used to live there. Oh, she said, I know Shamrace. He's away right now. I didn't ask her what that meant. I didn't have to. He's 
Carvel, there you go, right there. <laughs> What's up, bro? What's How you up? doing, man? <laughs> What's good? What's yeah, how weird is this? Man, is weird. This weird? Yeah, it is. It's kind of weird, <laughs> I can't man. Believe it, man. Yeah, I it guess is. we're going to go back to McKeesport. Yeah. yeah. What about uh, that kid Mako? Remember that kid Mako? <laughs> <laughs> he was a mess even then. I listen, can't even listen. imagine what happened to him. It's funny you, you bring him up. <laughs> Because every year somebody goes, where's Mako? <laughs> and everybody's shirt, we're on a crusade mission to find Mako. And we can't Now it's 2017. The first thing I want to tell you about Shamrace is that he's doing well. I mean, he's in a serious relationship. He's working on starting his own business, opening up juice bars. And right now he's a cook at a local college. The next thing I want to tell you about Shamrace is that he doesn't live in McKeesport anymore. He didn't even want to meet there. We met in Pittsburgh and then drove the 13-mile road along the river back to our old neighborhood. And this is because McKeesport isn't doing well. In a sense, McKeesport is away right now. Like, I'm a survivor, man. I call myself a survivor out of that town. Like, it got, it got deep. McKeesport was first a coal mining town, and then it was a steel town. When they built the factory, pretty much everyone there went to work at it, and soon it was the fastest growing municipality in the country. Immigrants from Russia, Poland, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, they flooded the town. And soon they were joined by black families who themselves were trying to escape the violent racism and poverty in the South. My grandparents were a part of that group, but the racism followed them. In 1971, the Pennsylvania state government forced integration of two McKeesport housing projects. A month later, a flyer containing the following text appeared on car windshields around town. Quote, Do you want the VD to rise among your children as it does whenever blacks move in? Do you want your daughter raped, your son shaken down for his lunch money, or your wife to live in abject fear? Forced integration of blacks into white neighborhoods will not change the spots on the leopard. Savages will continue to be savages. My mother was in high school that year. She lived in one of those housing projects. I was born three years later. Poverty eventually came for everyone in McKeesport. By 1987, the U.S. steel mill had shut down completely. Unemployment skyrocketed. Tax revenue dried up. Schools were underfunded. Roads were not paved. Unemployment and poverty were over 10%. And for black McKeesporters, those numbers nearly doubled. And then, after all that, that's when crack came. You know, and, it, and people got rich. Yeah. I was one of them. Yeah. I got rich. Yeah. I'd had it all. Mm -hmm. I lost it all. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it got real. Yeah. Dropped out of high school, man. Man, it was yeah. on it. It was just, and it was like, we had too much money. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then it all goes downhill from there. It's yeah. a typical story, man, in every neighborhood. But you never got caught up in that, though. I never really got caught up in it because I left the neighborhood before things got bad. 
before Shamray started selling drugs and getting arrested. First, I moved up the hill to White Oak with my Aunt B, and then when I was 14, back to L.A. with my mom, where I attended an arts high school and discovered things like Shakespeare and Jimi Hendrix and skinny dipping with white girls. Then I went to New York University, studied experimental theater, got married, had kids, became a writer. I got out. I got out, and in a sense, that always bothered me. I used to feel like I had abandoned some kind of responsibility by doing that. But now, looking at everything that happened in McKeesport after I left, I wasn't so sure. I mean, I'm telling you, it's funny, like about one or two or three months ago, I was like, I wonder where that dude Corvell was at, man. <laughs> I'll make this left right here, the sharp left. Mm -hmm. How did you feel when you got the uh, the message? Was it weird? Were it you surprised? Like weird, yeah, because you know where I'm coming from. You don't, you know, you don't trust nobody. Man. Right. You don't. Somebody reaching out to you, man. You don't know who this is. Right. This might be a guy from way back trying to kill. You don't right, know. Right, right. You don't know what's going on. So you know, you try to be protective and. I was like, yeah, it's kind of weird, but who knows Carvel? Like, just to say that name, he, this person has to be real because no one knew I knew him. Right. You know what I'm saying? So for them to be saying him, it has to be, you know, that's that's wild. It has to be real. Yeah. Left? Mm -hmm. I just remember, the main thing I remember is us riding bikes and jumping yeah, ramps. Jump, we used to run, jump ramps in the alley. Yeah, that the was my alley, favorite. We had an alley turn right here. Right here. <laughs> the day is overcast, heavy. Ominous-looking clouds hover above the distant hills, which are now turning gold and red with autumn leaves. As we drive into McKeesport, I can see that only one of every four or five houses is even occupied. The rest are boarded up or peering darkly onto the streets from broken windows. A car tire, a discarded stroller, a shopping cart, fallen trees, warped plywood or strewn haphazardly about in lots or on sidewalks or sometimes even in the middle of the road. Back when we were younger, yeah. this was thriving. Like yeah. all the parents had like people's grass was cut and you know, it was like, it was all so nice. It was all so nice. We used to stand in the street barefooted while it rained. Yeah run up and down like it was like a neighborhood back then it like, really was it's a there neighborhood were kids, there were kids everywhere i remember yeah it was kids everywhere yeah this was my house wow. right here. i used to love coming to your house yeah because it was the fun house <laughs> it was fun yeah it was the fun house yeah. everybody wanted to come to my house and because it was the fun house because there was no rules but then again those being no rules led to <laughs> You know, there should have been some rules. <laughs> I shouldn't have been allowed to had that much power that young, man. It was just ridiculous. Hey, if you're enjoying the show, check out our Facebook watch page. We've been doing a video series that deals with some of the harder questions that we ask in the show, and I think you'll really like it. We're at facebook.com slash closer show. Follow the page so you can see new videos as they come out. And on top of that, I really love hearing your voicemails. I've asked some questions and you guys have called in with answers. I'll play you one when we're finished with this story, but 
we're not finished yet. But see, after that, when we got into my teenager years, my dad got sick. So it was like, I ran the house, you know, with the drugs and stuff and all that. It became, you know, just like the chill spot. Like everybody would come over here and chill, you know. We started selling drugs out of this house. It, uh, man, and it went on for years. After we left Shamrace's house, we went up the street to mine. Like his, my childhood home is abandoned and destroyed. The roof of the front porch is caving in. My bedroom windows are staring blankly at me as if they don't recognize me at all. That's it, <laughs> 1804 Converse Street. Yeah, man. This used to be a neighborhood, a small town where everybody knew you. And in some ways, it still is. While we're standing in the street with Shamrays, a few people begin to come out of their houses. Just hearing voices outside is such a rare event that people have to come out and find out what could be the cause of that. An old guy that Shamrays has known for his whole life starts walking towards us. He's clutching an old cell phone and his jeans are ripped. His jacket is dirty. He stops and talks with us about politics for a minute. It's clear his mind is sharp, but his look is like he's barely hanging on. But before he leaves, he calmly and certainly predicts that Trump will bring about the end of civilization. You know what's going to happen? We're going to war. Trump wants to go to war, and this is going to be the last war. Trump wants to go to war, and we're going. Others come out over the next hour or so. I'm good. How are you doing? A minivan filled with old ladies carrying the Bible stops to see what we're doing and ask us about our families and remind us to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Meanwhile, the driver waves away the producer's microphone with the quiet confidence of a Jedi. Across the street, neighbors come out of their house and sit on the front porch and talk with us for a while. They're just going a little story. I'm sharing race mem. Each person that comes out knows Shamrace, remembers my family, but the vibe, simply put, is one of walking dead. Teeth are missing. Eyes are yellowed and blank, constantly scanning the horizon for threats. Cigarettes are smoked while drug tales and near-death experiences are recounted in ripped and husky voices. It is like a small town, but it is also like the remaining survivors of an apocalypse. I mean, you know, when I, when I, the main thing is I consider myself very lucky. Yeah. Right. Because I didn't, I didn't make the decision that changed my life. They, they got made for me. I mean, McKeesport was the best place for me to land with that family, with, with my uncle and aunt. They check my homework every single night, Shamrays. Every single night, I they check every single one of them. Stuff like that. Like, yeah. That's, that's it. Yeah. 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 And, um, yeah. That's that. They, I remember the structure. Yeah. It's like almost like the Cosby. Like. Yeah. His house is like I didn't have that. Like right. I could go home and be like, damn. Well, Carvel, 
you know, like dinner time. Like yeah. Carvel has to go in because yeah, it's dinner yeah, time. I'm like, what do you mean it's dinner time? Ain't he just gonna eat and run back outside or yeah, something? Yeah. But no, he has to come in, wash his hands, sit down, yeah. eat, yeah. then he'll be back out. You know what I'm saying? Like that was structured. I knew as a kid, like I didn't, we didn't have that structure in our house, but I knew you guys had that structure. Yeah. And I yeah. remembered that like, so when I did, when you did move, I was like, well, they, you know, his parents probably got him the heck up out of here. Mm -hmm. Quick, fast, in a hurry. Cause yeah. they seen what the neighborhood was going into. That's exactly what happened. Look at this place. You'd have either been up, caught up, or I would have absolutely been caught up. There's caught no up. doubt about it. There's caught no up. doubt about it. Yeah. You know, you are with your associated. You know who you're around. Right. That's how you act. You know, if your friends got goodwill and good doing good, that's gonna run off of you. If right. they're doing bad, that's gonna run off on you. You're gonna do bad. Well, you were my friend. I would have done whatever you did. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. I would have done whatever exactly. you did. It, it would have been me and you. Exactly. <laughs> I was airlifted out of McKeesport a year before crack came. And it's great that I went to school and did my homework and worked and read and followed up on opportunities and took chances and traveled and educated myself. But Shamrace stayed. And he also did what made the most sense for him, which was to make money for himself and his family. And he, too, did his work and followed up on opportunities and took chances. But because the opportunities and chances were different, they led him to different things. Shamrace's mother died young. She was in poor health even when we were kids. And then his father got sick soon after. So the task of managing the household soon fell to Shamrace. Basically, like when I was 16, 17 years old, 19, I'm taking care of him. Yeah. Like I'm paying all the bills. He's just getting a check in the mail. Like I'm writing out the bills. I'm, yeah. I'm going shopping. I'm making sure he's, I'm washing his clothes. I'm not going to school no more, but I'm running a whole house. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like I'm the man, like right. everybody's right. coming to see me. And that could also mean danger. I was playing PlayStation with a guy I knew. You know, he was over at my house, we were playing PlayStation and stuff, and he's like, uh, you got such and such? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, that ain't about nothing. You know, I got it. You know, just when we're done playing the game, just go get your money, and I got it. You know what I'm saying? So we were done playing the game, you know, we're smoking weed, getting drunk and everything. I, I let him out the house. He comes back with his brother. And um, so now it's, he, he's knocking at the door with his brother. And I'm, I'm, I know these guys. I, right. I know them forever. I, so I ain't think nothing of it. As soon as he opened the door, they pulled out the guns. Now this is somebody I knew my whole life. So me, I'm thinking, you're not gonna shoot me, right. man. You right. got to be for real. You're not gonna shoot me. So I start talking crazy, right, arguing, right. like, you're not gonna shoot me, mm -hmm. shoots me. Mm -hmm. Shoots me in the uh, in the chest, not I me, mean, in the stomach. You know what I mean? It took me over two years, two and a half years to walk again. Did you, uh, what did you think in that moment when you got shot in the stomach? Do you remember what ran that through your it. mind? I thought that was it. I thought that was it, like, finally. It was like, oh, it was almost like, Oh wow, it's relief. Okay, this is how it's gonna end. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like that, like at that moment, like, oh, this is how it's gonna happen. Like, you know, but I woke up in the hospital and I wasn't dead. Like, and the guy told me, and the doctor was like, whoa, 
if you weren't such a heavy set guy, you might not be here right now. Yeah, that's that's the first words I heard when I woke up. If you weren't such a heavy set guy, you, your life you might not be here right now. If you weren't such a heavy set guy, you might not be here right now. This sentence sits with me pretty much every day since I heard it. Shamrace Mims took a stream of bullets into his body on the very same porch we used to play matchbox cars and eat candy bars on. And the reason he survived, the reason he's even here to tell us about it, wasn't because he's this tremendous badass, this no-limit soldier who's always ready to fight for his. It's because he was chubby. So where I'm at now is, I got a plan. I want a, I want a juice bar. I want a couple juice bars, four or five, as many as I could get. Sit back for the rest of my life and enjoy it. Because I don't think I enjoyed no part of my life. It's, I've been a constant work, constant. Constant work, constant work. I've, I've yet to sit down and relax in the last 30 years. <laughs> it's always a movement. I met a girl that I think is going to be there for the rest of my life. And that's that. Yeah, yeah that's that. <laughs> it's good to see you're doing well, man. Yeah. You know? <laughs> It's uh, like you said, you, you said you're a survivor, you know? Life, when uninterrupted by shootings, does have something of a natural order to its progression. The mistakes and recklessness and selfishness of the youth are underwritten by the experience and charity and patience of the adults. But what happens to a community when a lot of people don't even live to be adults? How does it go forward then? So one of the questions I was going to ask you, I mean, did you, did you vote in the last election? Why didn't you vote, if I can ask that? <laughs> we can, you know we can go on. No, no, this is this is good. This is good. This is good. Like I don't believe in it. I don't believe in the whole setup. Uh -huh. I just to me, it's the big dog and pony show. Uh -huh. Yeah, like where is this country going yeah. right now? Right now, like where are we going? Where are we going? Yeah. Where are we going? Okay, black people wanted a black president. You got your black president. Um. You know, people get mad when I say this. It didn't make a difference. <laughs> I mean, what do you what? What? It didn't make one difference. To me, no president makes a difference. Because mm. when every president gets in there, this is messed up. Where is this country headed to? What do y'all really want? Come on, man. It's, it's, it's getting ridiculous. Like, where are we going? So, you know, you got the common working folk that gets mm -hmm. up every morning, takes a shower, get in his car, go to work, come home, he pays his bills, pays his car note, and that's just his life. You know what I'm saying? That's like, for real, you're stuck. Mm. Yeah. Do you feel? I mean, but that's that's what you have now. What? Do you, you work every day? Uh, pay your man, bills. I work every day. Pay yeah. my bills. But I'm on something. I'm trying to open stuff. I got ideas up here. Yeah. I'm reading. I'm I'm I'm, yeah. I'm going to knock the board down. You know, I'm going to be old, but when I'm going to do it. Like I'm going to run a couple businesses, uh -huh. and I'm going to you know yeah. live the life that I should have lived coming straight out of high school. 
That's my goal to do it before I'm going to be old probably and my kids are going to reap the benefits. And that's the way it is. That's how you're supposed to live. You got to pass down wealth. How many kids do you have? Two. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Boy and a girl. Boy and a girl. Yeah. You know, you know, my name is Sham Race. You know, it's the only Sham Race in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody has a name that's common or somebody else has a name. You will not find another Sham Race in the whole world. I didn't go, we didn't try. Like, that's amazing to me. Like, there's no, there's, so that's my son's name. Yeah. Okay. Sham Race, you know what I'm saying? Because it's just me and him. Once I told my girlfriend, who's an Iranian immigrant, about McKeesport and Shamrays and a little bit about my feelings of survivor's guilt for abandoning my hometown. It's very American, she said. This idea that you are connected to a land just because you're from there. You could not have survived there. You had to leave in order to do what you did. Shamrays had to leave in order to do what he did. So in that sense, you are exactly the same as me and hundreds of millions of other people on this planet. You guys are refugees. I did not like this. This idea that I was a refugee. It struck me wrong, but I couldn't explain why. I just felt defensive in the conversation. So we changed the subject and finished our dinner. But that night, I lay awake thinking about it. And it finally occurred to me what had troubled me so much about her comment. It was that I did not think that Americans could be refugees. Like so many of us, I was raised with and still apparently have deeply embedded in me this sense of American exceptionalism. War-torn streets and huddled masses fleeing for their safety, carrying everything they own on their backs. We had been taught that this was the stuff of other countries, of lesser countries. And I had believed that without even knowing that I believed that. But visiting McKeesport, it was hard to deny that she was right. Shamrace told me that he doesn't vote. And that's, that's a sacrilegious idea to many people I know. But standing on these streets, these streets that you can only survive by either luck or escape, streets that are just like thousands of streets and thousands of towns and neighborhoods across the country, not voting actually makes sense. Obama didn't help McKeesport. Bush didn't help it. Bill Clinton didn't help it. You think Trump is going to help it? I recently learned that this country has spent $250 million per day, every day, every single day since September 11th, 2001 on the war on terror. That means the amount of money spent on just one half of one of those days could mean a world of difference to McKeesport. So why isn't that happening? Why isn't that happening? Why should Shamrays care about the government 
when there's $250 million a day worth of evidence that the government doesn't care about sham rays. Next week, I talk to commentator Van Jones and lawyer and advocate Rabia Chowdhury. They've both been on the inside of government and on the outside. So what does it mean in their minds for us to go forward together as a country? And can a person like Shamrace and a place like McKeesport come along? I'm calling with a message for a former friend of mine. So I've been asking you to call me and share what you'd like to say to someone in your life that you're estranged from. And I got to be honest, I love hearing these messages, even when there are messages that are difficult to listen to. So this woman, who asked us not to use her name, called and had this to say to her former friend. I want to understand why you still don't get it. I'll elaborate. You seem to be under the impression that I severed our friendship and stopped talking to you because I disagree with your politics, because you supported and voted for Trump. It's significantly deeper than that. And your having voted for Trump was a symptom, not the problem. We've talked. We've had long conversations about things like the criminal justice system treating people of color worse than white people. We've talked about how I don't feel safe in my own country as a person of color because I fear that one day I could lose my life for looking suspicious for fitting a description. And yet, you didn't get why it would disturb me that Colin Kaepernick taking a knee offended you. It shook me when you said you would prefer Trump's sexism to having Hillary because you want to save on your taxes. It was deeper than politics because we talked about all these things, about how they personally affect me. It's as if after knowing me for years, you didn't value my life. I really appreciate hearing your stories. Call me at 949-522-5587 to share your story. That's 949-522-5587. Leave a voicemail. You don't have to use your name if you don't want to. And you might hear your message in a future episode. And you can always find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Closer Show. Thank you so much to those of you who've called already. This is really one of my favorite things about doing the show. This is Closer Than They Appear from Jetty Studios. You're subscribed, right? It's free wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're at it, why not write us a review? It'll help other people find the show. And you can always find links to episodes and full transcripts on our website, closerthantheyappear.fm. This episode was field produced by Lacey Roberts. Our senior producer is Casey Miner, and our editor is Leela Day. Graylin Brashear and Paulana Lamonier run our social media, and our associate producer is Meredith Hodnot. Our show is engineered by Mark Bame, with mixing and sound design by Ian Koss. Music is by Antique Naked Soul. You can hear more of them at antique-music.com. Megan Jones runs our podcast operations, and Jessica Wang is our senior video producer. 
Special thanks to Sham Race's brother, Jason Mims, who helped us get in touch. Jetty's executive producer is Julie Kane, and general manager is Kazar Campwala. Until next week, thanks for listening. Jetty.